Right. Friends, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, June 15th, 2021. And this week, the Torah portion is Chukat. And we are studying the third reading, but we're really studying the second half of the second reading to get a running, to get a running start into all of this. Okay, so let's get rolling. I'm going to share my screen with you. And we are in reading number two. Again, today is Tuesday, so really it's reading three. But I, want to, I wanted to start from a new chapter, a new narrative, a new story. We're going to go through the story and share the relevant lessons. That's how we roll. Okay, Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. The entire congregation of the children of Israel. So the entire nation. Now remember, how many people are we talking about? 600,000 men between 20 and 60, plus the women and the children and the those men and women over 60, we're talking about a good two or three million people. So we have a massive, you know, relatively massive number of people that are now arriving at the desert of Zin, or in the Hebrew, it's Tzin, Midbar Tzin, the desert of Zin, in month number one, in the first month, that would be Nisan. And the people settled in Kadesh. Kadesh was the name of the place. The Torah tells us that Miriam died there and was buried there. So here is where she passes away. And you need to know this. The Torah just jumped 40 years in the narrative. I'll say that again. The Torah just fast forwarded 40 years. Like as of a few verses ago, we were talking about what happened, you know, the, in the year after the Exodus with the giving of the Torah, the sin of the golden calf, the building of the Mishkan, the sin of the spies, the sin of Korach, all of that stuff, the rebellion of Korach, all of that stuff happened toward the beginning of the desert journey and experience. And now it's at the end of the 40 years. How do I know this? I know this because it's clear from the verses and also because we have, um, we have indication from the commentaries. I just toggled Rashi. And as you'll see soon, Rashi will tell us and indicate that this happened at the end of the 40 years. Take a look at verse number two. Miriam passes away. And the next thing you know, the congregation had no water. Imagine millions of people and no fresh, clean drinking water. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron. Look at Rashi. Rashi's in this offset um, background color text. They had no water. From here we learn that all 40 years they had the well in Miriam's merit. Tractate Tainet, uh, page 9a. The Talmud teaches us that all 40 years that the Jews were traveling in the desert, they had a well of water that traveled with them. And that well came to them on, uh, in the merit of Miriam. So now, when she passes away at the end of the 40 years, after 40 years of wandering, with a well of water, with the clouds of glory, with Moses at the helm, with a tabernacle, with an ark, and a menorah, and an altar, and all the stuff that we've been talking about. Again, what happened in those 39 years, we don't know. I mean, we know some things, right? The sin of the spies, Korach's rebellion, but that's it. That's all we're getting. Now we're at the end of the journey. I hope that makes sense. And at the end of the 40 years, Miriam passes away. 
And let me just toggle Rashi off for a moment. And when Miriam passes away, the water crisis begins because it was in her merit that they had water. She passes away, the well, is, the well disappears, the well dries up, there's no more well. So what happens without water? They assembled against Moses and Aaron. And what happened next? The people quarreled with Moses. And they said, if only we, we had died with the death of our brothers before the Lord. Look at that. If only we also died with our brethren that died over the last 40 years. Remember that, for that, that original generation, they all died out in the desert? Right? Remember that? Well, we haven't talked about it. We talked about the decree that they would die out in the desert, but they did. And now this is the next generation. These are the kids. I hope you're with me in this narrative. This is 40 years later, and this generation is the next generation. They call them Gen I. Gen I. Right? Not Gen D. That was the desert generation. This is Gen I, the Israel generation. This is the generation that was going to go and did go into the land of Israel. So Gen I now, Miriam passes away. They have no water. And you know what they say? We should have died also. We should have died also of natural causes. Now we're going to die of thirst. And they complain and they say, why have you brought the congregation of the Lord to this desert so that we and our livestock should die there? Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like something their parents would have said? Yeah. It's like a throwback. It's like what the, it's like what the other generation, what the previous generation said. Why did you take us out of Egypt? We had it so good. Right? The, 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 the craziness of saying that. It was so good. It was so peaceful. We had our cucumbers and our watermelon and our leeks. It was gewaldic. It was amazing. And now we're in the desert and there's no water. That's what the previous generation said. And this is being echoed now in the voice Rabbi, of the, of the Rabbi, yes. Yeah. Rabbi? Um, it reminds me of like an artist like Picasso, not appreciated while around. Like now Moses is our hero, but. <laughs> he had it rough. That's the bottom line. And we don't even know the, all of the drama that went on through those 39 years. There's literally a jump cut. Imagine like, you know, in a movie where it's like you're, you're so captivated by the characters and, and then it just 40 years later and it picks up the story. This is what's going on in Torah. The jump happens literally right here. It's 20th chapter of Numbers. It jumps 40 years at the end. So until now was the beginning of the 40 years. And now it's at the end of the 40 years. New generation. Miriam passes away. There's no water. The people quarrel. The people complain. Oh, oh, here we go. Oh, text uh, um, uh, verse 5. It continues. Why have you taken us out of Egypt? To bring us to this evil place. Evil place. It is not a place for seeds. Right? You can't plant in a desert. Or for fig trees, grapevines, or pomegranate trees. And to boot, there's no water to drink. <laughs> there you go. There's no water. And now we realize how terrible life in the desert is. Now, did they know? <laughs> that they were going to very soon imminently enter the land of Israel. They knew that. They knew. It was 40 years of wandering. They knew that they were at the end of that time span. So why they complain? I don't know. They complained. They panicked. They had no water. And everything came out, all of the pent-up emotion. I mean, they watched their parents die in, in the desert. So there's a lot of drama here. A lot, lot of um, 
Trauma is better than drama. A lot of trauma here. So Moses and Aaron moved away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, the Mishkan. And they fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. By the way, if, if this sounds familiar, that pretty much happens, I don't know, a dozen times or so in, in the book of Numbers, where the people are complaining. Moses and Aaron don't even know what to do anymore. They fall on their faces and God appears and lets them know what the deal is. Now, I need to clarify a few things. Okay, very important. There were three essential miracles that happened for the Jewish people when they were traveling in the desert for the 40 years. Number one, they had water. Number two, they had food. Number three, they had shelter. So it's usually food, clothing, shelter. Here I'm doing food, water, and shelter. So let's go through the three, through the three things. There was a well, a very special well known as the Be'era Shel Miriam, the well of Miriam, Miriam's well. There was a well of water that traveled with the people miraculously, provided um, all sorts of water supply, whether it was for drinking or for cleaning. All your water was supplied by the well. It was in the honor and in the merit of the great righteous person, Miriam. Then there were the clouds of glory. The clouds of glory came to the people in the merit of Aaron. Let me, sorry, clouds of glory, let me explain. The Anani Hakova, the clouds of glory that protected the Jewish people from the scorching hot sun on top and from the burning hot desert sand. And it said it would also launder their clothes somehow, right? This is before dry cleaning, there was cloud cleaning. I can't explain it, but that's what it says. Um, the cloud came in the merit of Aaron, the high priest. And the third miracle, which was the food, the manna from heaven, which of course, we're, I think we're all familiar with, right? The manna, the, the, the heavenly bread, heavenly food that came to the doorsteps every morning, that came in the merit of Moshe, Moses. Three siblings, three miracles. In the merit of Moshe, they got food. In the merit of Aaron, they got cloud coverage, cloud protection. And in the merit of Miriam, they got water. Well, Miriam is the oldest of the three siblings, and she is the first to pass away at the end of the 40 years. As we'll see soon, all three pass away within a short amount of time. So Miriam passes away. And immediately the water is done. What happens? The people have no water. They assembled and they quarreled. Right? They had no water. The verbs are assembled and quarreled. Those are the verbs. Right? What they do, they, they had no water. That's a fact. What they do, they assembled and they quarreled. What about mourning Miriam's passing? What about grieving for the loss? What about feeling the pain of this righteous leader amongst the people having been taken away from them? There's no mention in the Torah of the people mourning the passing of Miriam. Did you notice that? There's no mention. It literally says she passes away. And the next thing you know, the focus is on the water and the, and the complaints about, about lack of water. Right? So what's going on? What happened, with, um, what happened with mourning Miriam? And our sages tell us the most powerful, one of the most powerful messages that you and I can hear. This is unbelievable. 
And the message is that so often when a loved one passes away, machloket breaks out. You know what machloket is? Machloket is fighting. Conflict breaks out. Right? This is tragic. A loved one passes away, and instead of the family uniting, the family divides. And a fight breaks out between the siblings, or the uncles, or the aunts, whatever, whatever it is. Right? This is a fact of life. It's an unfortunate fact of life. Doesn't happen all the time, obviously. But it happens. And it's unfortunate when it happens. And the Torah is giving us the first, I think, the first case of this in Torah. The to- Here we have the, the passing of a righteous person. And instead of banding together in solidarity and in tribute and in mourning for this great righteous leader, Miriam, the people turn on each other. They turn on Moses. And this reminds us of, of why it happens. It happens when other things are prioritized over the memory of the, lo- of the loved one who passed away. Are you with me on that? When money, in this case, it's, yeah, okay, I'm not downplaying water. But look, Moses and God can pull it off. They've done it before. They can do it again. Right? But it's when you prioritize. It's when we prioritize the material stuff over what's really important in the moment is when the fights begin. It's like instead of, you know, instead of it just being present and connecting in, in a, with, with, a, uh, um, with love over the, the, the shared loss of a loved one, instead we're fighting over the will. Or we're fighting over um, a piece of jewelry. Or we're fighting over um, whatever it is, right? In the big picture, these are very small things relative to someone's legacy that we've all loved collectively. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Does this make sense? The Torah is giving us a, for instance, the Torah is giving us an example of this, a tragic example, where Miriam dies, and the next thing you know, no one's even, no one's even paying attention to her. No one's even mourning her. It doesn't say that the people cried. There's no mention of mourning. Do you notice that? She died, she was buried, and the next verse, complaints. All right, I think I made my point. Any questions, comments? No? Okay. But what do you do with the complaint? The complaint's the complaint. It's a tragedy, but there's still a complaint. We gotta, we gotta deal with it. We gotta deal with it. We gotta deal with the complaint. Oh, Joy wrote and not maintaining their legacy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's so much fighting that uh, what happened to the legacy? What are we doing to commemorate, to, to pay tribute to, the, to, to our loved one? Who can work together if we're all fighting? That's, the, that's one of the great tra- tragedies of life. Now, obviously, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough that we need to take guidance from the Torah. The Torah shows us often what not to do, right? So the Torah is showing us a cautionary tale, or is give, telling us a t- cautionary tale about what happens when there are other things that are prioritized over the legacy, over the, the shared experience. Let's get, by the way, one thing that I... That went, one of the messages when tragically uh, someone in the community's parents or loved one passes away, one of the things that I always emphasize, always try to, and I mention again and again and again is, please do everything in your power not to fight. Like, well, who's going to fight? Trust me. Just be very, very um, 
uh, aware and vigilant to make sure that no machloket breaks out. It's not good for you. It's not good for your siblings or relatives. It's not good for the loved one who passed away to see the kids fighting. That's not what they wanted. That's not what they want. Doesn't give nachas, right, etc. All right, enough said about this. Let's continue reading number three. So now we have an issue. There's no water and the people are complaining and it's getting pretty, pretty tense. So notice no plague breaks out. Remember in the past, like people complained against water, about water, about the food, and like plagues break out? No plague. No plague. God has chilled out. It's end of 40 years. It's 40 years later, right? God's like, you need water? You're complaining? You want to go back to Egypt? Ah, you guys. <laughs> you guys, I'll give you water. No big deal, right? God has definitely taken a bit of a different approach over here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff. So God says to Moses, take the staff. Right, your actual, the staff, the same staff that Moses took to, to Pharaoh to do the plagues, to split the sea, right, that, the staff, right? As Rashi says, the staff, nope, not here, but elsewhere. The staff is the staff that we know. And assemble the congregation. You and your brother Aaron, 40 years later, it's the same crew. Moses and Aaron and the people, amazing. Well, new generation, but... Assembly and speak to the rock. Look at this. Speak to the rock. This is not Dwayne Johnson we're talking about. This is the rock. There is a rock that traveled. Those of you that get that reference, you get it. Right? Speak to the rock in their presence, in the presence of the people, so that it will give forth its water. Speak to the rock so that it will give forth its water. And do so in the presence of the people. You shall bring forth water for them. From the rock. And now you can't stop thinking about Dwayne Johnson. And give the congregation and their livestock to drink. So you're going to take your staff, speak to the rock. Sorry, take your staff, assemble the people, speak to the rock in front of the people. And the, wa- the, the rock shall give forth water. And then everyone will have what to drink. Sounds great. So verse number nine, Moses does exactly this. Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron assembled the congregation in front of the rock. So far, so good. And he said to them, Moses said to the people next to the rock, Now listen, you rebels. Uh Uh-oh. Rebels. Now, some people might like that, but mm, okay. Now listen, you rebels. Can we draw water for you from this rock? It's like a magician. It's like, do you think I can make a rabbit appear out of this hat? Now listen, you rebels. Can we draw water for you from this rock? Right? Rhetorically stated. Moses raised his hand and struck the rock. Struck the rock with his staff twice. When an abundance of water gushed forth. In other words, after which an abundance of water gushed forth. And the congregation and their livestock drank. Now, if we pause it right here, I'm going to go so you can't read verse 12. If we pause the narrative, sorry, I'm being mean like that. So if we pause the story right here, you and I would most likely say, beautiful. I think that was handled very well by all the parties. Look, Miriam passes away. The water dries out. There's no more water. The people complain. Moses and Aaron fall down on their faces. God says, don't worry. 
we got this. We're going to do this together. You take your staff, Moses, gather the people, speak to the rock. The rock will give water. So Moses does that. He gets his staff. He gets the people. He says, do you think we can produce water from this rock? He hits the rock twice and out comes the water. Sounds great. But you know the problem. This is not your first rodeo, right? You guys know the problem. Moses was told how to bring forth water. What was he told to do? To speak to the rock. rock. And what did he do to the rock? He hit it. He hit the rock. And you might think, well, what's the difference? It's still amazing if water's coming from a rock. What does that even mean? Right? How does it even work? Hitting, speaking, who cares? It's still a miracle. But I want to tell you this. And this is something brought in the good books. Especially the works of the Hasidic masters. If you can produce results... Through positive encouragement, you have no right to use brute force. Are you with me in what I just said? If you can produce water by speaking to the rock, you have no permission to hit the rock. Again, literally, but also allegorically. And I'm going to explain more soon. But look at God's response. Immediately, God turns on Moses and Aaron. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, since you did not have faith in me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly to the land which I have given them. You will not go into the land of Israel. These are the waters of dispute known as the May Meribah, where the children of Israel contended with the Lord And he was sanctified through them. But in the aftermath, the fallout, the collateral damage, if you will, is that Moses and Aaron, but let's focus on Moses, will not lead the people into the promised land. Why? Because he did not have faith in me and he did not in God and he did not sanctify God in the eyes of the children of Israel. The commentaries struggle with what went wrong. What exactly was the problem? Clearly, we see that Moses hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. As I asked before, who cares? Clearly, God cares. I gave you a little bit of a tidbit of an explanation. If you can speak, you have no right to hit. And that's true. But let's explore some themes. Let's explore some themes. You know, the people, the people had been, were being a little bit stubborn. When I say stubborn, I don't mean literally stubborn. I mean a little bit difficult. Water, water dries up, and the next thing you know, they're complaining. It's been five minutes without water. You guys are complaining. Take it easy. We're going we're gonna to have more water. Take it easy. No, five minutes in, there's no water. That's it. Protest. The picket signs, the sit-ins, assembling against Moses and Aaron, why'd you take us out of Egypt? All the old tropes, all the old like stuff, the old themes coming back. 40 years before. Why do we leave Egypt? You know, why, why are you taking us to the to death by thirst in the desert? All right. So they were being obstinate. And what God, again, I'm giving you like an amalgam, a combo of, of different commentaries. So they were being difficult, kind of like a rock, right? Being, being stubborn, being tough. So God says to Moses, speak to the rock, the, the literal rock, and have it produce water. And the message will be, look, If I can speak to the rock and the rock will produce water, so I should be able to speak with you people and you'll be able to do the right thing without complaints. 
So Moses said, no, I'm not going to show up my people. I'm not going to allow the people to, re- to I'm not, I'm not going to make the people look bad by having a rock produce water so seamlessly. Are you with me? If a rock listens better than the people, what does that say about the people? Does that make sense what I'm saying now? If God would speak to the rock, hey, produce water, and the, and the rock says, sure, no problem. I'll do something that's impossible for you, right? And then when, God, when Moses speaks to the people, and they're like, hmm, about that, right? They're fetching. That wouldn't look good for the people. So God says, sorry, so Moses decides he's going to take one for the team, and he's not going to speak to the rock. He's going to hit the rock. But in doing so, God is not happy. God says, you did not sanctify my name in front of the people. You did not show that even a rock would listen to the word of God. Because you didn't, therefore, you're not going to go into the land of Israel. But I want to circle back to what I said before. About, and this is, this is a lesson, uh, I believe a profound lesson regarding leadership. It also relates to parenting. It also relates to any form of mentoring or guidance, teaching, um, any form of leadership, of which there are many different uh, variations. You have to know who you're working with. And if you don't know who you're working with, if, you're, if, you, re- if you treat this individual like someone else, it's a mistreatment of the individual. You're just not, right? If you're teaching all your students the same, it's a missed opportunity. You're not really teaching that student. If you're parenting all your children the same, then more than likely you're not parenting that one child because they're not the same as the other child, right? So parenting and teaching and educating and guiding and mentoring, leading in general, needs to be differentiated. You know, one of the big words in education is differentiated learning. The idea that that children, students learn differently. They learn in different ways. And no one way is better than the other. Maybe back in the day we thought that everyone should sit at desks and just listen to lectures. Well, now we know that kids need hands-on learning. The kids need experiential learning. Kids need visual and audio and all all of these other tools to immerse. And, And good teachers, nay, great teachers, I nayed myself there. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't usually do that. But great teachers, right, will actually give their students the opportunity to choose their own path in learning. How would you like to learn? We could do it. You could watch a video. You could listen to something. You could create a video, create a podcast, learning through creating. But the bottom line is that you learn the way you are best suited to learn. Great teachers give their students the opportunity to learn as they need to learn, as they want to learn, as they're passionate about learning. Rabbi, are you, are you, is it then that Moses didn't understand his people? That's where I'm getting. Moses related to generation two, like generation one. The original generation needed a little, not, not in, a, in a literal way, but they needed some tough love. These were the, gener- this was a generation hardened by Egyptian slavery, the original generation, OG, OG um, Jews, right? Generation one, what I call them generation D, the desert generation, the original. They were hardened. They were, they were um, um, uh, uh, slavery weary. They needed a little bit of tough love. That's how they thought. That's how they felt. 
That's how they dealt with each other. That's how they dealt with Moses. That's how he needed to deal with them. But now I told you at the beginning of today's session, fast forward 39 or so years. This is now year 40 of this journey together. 40 years later, that generation died in the desert. This is the new generation. These are the kids born in freedom, born in Torah. This is a new generation that is a little bit softer and more gentle. And yes, they panicked. But when Moses heard the words of panic from this new generation, guess what he thought? He went back. It triggered him to his old patterns, even though that wasn't necessarily what they were saying. Does that make sense? Yes? He heard something similar, and it triggered, you want to call it trauma or, 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 or um, knee-jerk reaction, it triggered a reaction of, we got to come down hard again. But I dropped a breadcrumb before. You notice who didn't come down hard? God. Notice that there's no plague that breaks out, no smiting or smoting that happens, which typically happens in these situations. God was dealing with this new generation with kid gloves, with a softer, gentler touch. And you know who else was supposed to deal with them a little bit more gently? Moses. And that was symbolized by God's instruction to speak to the rock. By the way, 40 years prior, I don't want to pull it up right now because I would have to do a lot of scrolling. 40 years prior, when the water first emerged from the well of Miriam, Moses made it happen. You know how he did it? Based on God's command? He hit the rock. You know who told him to do it? God. 40 years earlier, you had to hit the rock. 40 years later, it's time to speak to the rock. 40 years later, you have to know your audience. You have to know your crowd. It's a new generation. Requires a new modality of leadership. So, did Moses feel like he knew better than God? According to this, it seems like Moses, even though it's hard to say this, Moses misread his crowd. Moses couldn't relate, or in a positive way, he was such a leader of his generation. It would be almost disloyal to be any other leader. Does that make sense? Any other style. Any other style. And so God says, I get it. I get it. So you know where you're going to be? With your people. That's where you're going to be. Yeah, Joy. But it also seems like, and I don't know if this is a stretch, but that the generation, the desert generation, had to have everything done for them because they came out of slavery. They were not in control at all. They could not think or do for themselves while they were slaves. And now this generation, it seems like they weren't taught to do anything for themselves yet. It's like they had not made that transition. Good, good, yes, and yes. And, and, and God tells Moses, I want you to speak to the rock, but that's symbolic of educate and guide. They need that instruction. They don't need it over the head, right? They don't need a tough love approach. They need a, a warm, gentle touch. And there's two ways to understand that either Moses couldn't relate to them or he, or he was such the, you know, the ultimate leader of his generation that that's where he needed to be in that space, in that modality, in that style, and in that physical location. And so God says, as a, not a punishment necessarily, as a consequence of you being, let's say it positively, the ultimate leader of your generation, 
So it makes sense to find someone else to lead a new generation, right? It's kind of like the Rolling Stones. Is, is it the mitzvah of the Rolling Stones to create a new generation of fans? I don't know. Is it about converting new fans to, right? It's about, I'm not a Rolling Stones expert. I'm just using that as an example. But it's, it's not, there's no problem with cultivating your, in other words, keeping connection with your people, right? With your, with your audience, right? Do you have to try to be someone that you're not to appeal to a new audience? No, right? There's no, in other words, what I'm trying to say is it's not a flaw in Moses, it, it's, it's really more that that's who he was, that's who his people were, and they didn't, they couldn't, I don't know, couldn't, they, they maybe even shouldn't be any different than, than who they were, authentic to self, and Moses was the ultimate leader for his generation. But now there's a new generation. Now it's a more gentle approach, so we need a new leader for that. Cue Joshua. I will tell you, the Rebbe spoke along these lines many times and said in our times, you know, paralleling our times, the generation of Europe that saw pogroms, generation that came over, the immigrant generation, they were hard. They were a hardened generation. You know, they were okay with telling, they were okay with learning and telling their children, don't ask questions, do it because that's the way it is, right? Hit you over the head with Judaism, right? You can't ask questions in Sunday school, that's the way it is. But the Rebbe said, we live in a new generation. We live in America. <laughs> we live in a new generation a little bit softer and more gentle, and it's not a bad thing. It's a, th it, it's a thing thing. It's just a thing. It's just, it's just a reality. And so today we have to take a gentler approach. We have to be more understanding, and we have to be more compassionate, and we have to explain things. And if somebody has a question, you got to give them an answer. You can't just say, no, you have to do it because that's, that's what Judaism is. It's not going to be accepted. You can't hit the rock and think that you're going to produce water anymore. Even if it worked once upon a time, it doesn't work today, right? Just do it because you have to. The other person will smile, keep on walking, and you'll never see them again. That's it. They're not going to shout at you. They're not from the old generation. The old generation, again, I'm not necessarily pointing out anybody. I'm just saying, the older style would be, you shout at me, I'll shout at you, and that's it. But at least, you know, that's how we speak. We speak by shouting. The new generation, you shout... They'll smile, they'll move on, they just won't call. They just won't call you. That's it, they just, they're just gonna go away. The tough love doesn't work. Now, I might say, never tough love. Look, nothing is absolute, and every situation needs to be, obviously, right? Every, your mileage may vary. YMMV, as they say online. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, but in general, a healthy approach, whether it's, Education, schools, community, businesses, right, families, the way to guide is through love. Guiding through love, speaking to the rock to produce the water. As I said before, if you can get the same water by speaking to the rock, we have no permission to hit the rock. No permission to use a Gevura stance. There's Chesed and Gevura. There might have been a time when Gvur was the norm. Gvur is the more severe, severity approach. Chesed is generation, I don't even know what generation we're up to now. There was Z and then, what was it? There was Y? Am I, was, there was a Y, a Z? What are we up to now? Does anybody know what, what the current generation is called? 
whatever. What what? XYZ. XYZ. Okay, what happens next? We start again, Generation A? I don't even know. Double A. Double A. <laughs> In the minor leagues. Anyway, listen, here's the deal. A little baseball reference. Um, the bottom line is Moses was a perfect leader for his generation. And so that's where he remained with his generation. They passed away in the desert. In other words, outside of Israel, that was his destiny too. Rabbi? Yes. He became a perfect leader for all generations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Moses is, Moses is the man. Moses is the bomb. But he wasn't destined to lead the new generation. They needed someone that spoke their language. They needed someone on TikTok. They needed someone, you know, someone that, get, that gets them. Someone that really, really gets, you know, an Instagram influencer, someone that, you know, influenced from, you know, just miming some other track that's played in the background while doing something silly for 30 seconds. That's how, that's how the new generation learns and, and relates and gets information and picks up trends. It's unbelievable what is trendy nowadays, but it's, it is what it is. And if it's like, oh, the kids, what are they? They're involved in such nonsense, Bob. You know what? All right. So then stay, stay with your generation. It's okay. It's like, no, we're going to hit the rock. No problem. But here's where, you, but this is, you know, <laughs> stay over here. We got, we got to move in a different direction. So even Moses was, and I, and I hate to, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to speak harsh. I'm, obviously not, because Moses is the, is the greatest. But, but even Moses had a had an end date for his leadership that's that's the way it is all right that's it for today i mean a lot to, un to uh, i think i think for myself even a lot to unpack a lot to a lot to think about it's you know we're never going to be perfect we're not going to be perfect parents educators mentors leaders you know community members we're not going to be perfect but torah reminds us what we're striving toward torah also reminds us that we got to know the customer some customers customers, right? Need a little tough love. That's a good thing. Some want the rules. Some want, you know, tell me what's going on. And, you know, some people love knowing about, I'm saying Jewishly now, I'm just segueing. I'm, I'm kind of like thinking about a bunch of different, you know, um, um, applications. But Jewishly, some people love when you tell them about hell. Gehenim. Oh, I, I want to know what's going to happen if I mess up, right? That's going to help me stay on the right. Some people love that. Some people, you talk about Gehenim, they're like, Thank you very much. I'm out the door. Like, don't talk to me about punishment and consequences. Let's talk about love and fresh air and, you know, you know, just beautiful things and meditation and mindfulness and like and positivity. Don't get don't get the dark and gloomy things. Different people, different styles. Like I said before about parenting and like educating, you got to know the child, know the person you're talking to. And the ultimate is to help everybody grow to their, to their, into their potential. There's no substitute to knowing. There's a beautiful book. I look at my bookshelf here. I have it at home, but not here. Beautiful book authored by the previous Rebbe. Known as The Principles of Education and Guidance. It's all about, it's for teachers. Um, it's how to teach. Not what to teach. It's not a curriculum. It's about how to teach. And the first steps, know yourself, know your student. Without those steps, you cannot teach. You just can't, because who are you teaching? Who are you, how can you, how can you 
elevate, mentor, if you don't really know the person you're speaking to, if you don't care about them, you have to know who they are and care, be invested in them. Right. And then you can teach. Then you can have it because then they know. What's the, what's the lush and what's the phrase? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Something like that? Yes. It's got to be predicated on love, right? Love is all you need or all you need is love. The, I, as the Beatles once said, all you need is love. Right. Love. All you love. need is love. Right. Love is all you need. Something like that. Anyway, all right. We started with the Rolling Stones. We ended with the Beatles. Um, all right. That's going to be it for today for Daily Power Power Show. Thank you for joining. I hope this, uh, this was meaningful and resonated. Um, tomorrow we continue. Not in person. We got the camp over here. So Wednesday, same bad time, same bad channel. Um, Ray, Joy, Donna, Hannah, and Jackie. It is great to see you guys. One quick note. Tonight we begin a brand new course. This course you will love. It will knock both of your socks off. Guaranteed. You're going to love this. If you like mystery and a puzzle, <coughs> if you like a good novel, if you like stories, if you like life lessons that resonate, if you're curious about the Talmud, join us for Curious Tales of the Talmud, a three-part mini-series beginning tonight at 8 p.m. We're going to take the most bizarre, enigmatic, puzzling stories of the Talmud, decipher them, and it's the, the Talmud is called Yam Shel Talmud, the Sea of the Talmud. We are going to be putting on our snorkels. Snorkels? Snorkel? Right? The oxygen tank, the little flippers, we're going to take a deep dive, not on the surface. We're going to go into the deepest stories and extract the most brilliant pearls. That came out nicely, I think. All right, so join me tonight at 8. Sometimes it works. Join me tonight at 8 p.m. Curious Sales of the Talmud. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell anybody who, would, who you think might want to join to join intownjewishacademy.org slash tales, T-A-L-E-S. Although tonight you'll learn that we could, we could have spelled it T-A-I-L-S, tales, because it's a tale of tales. <laughs> and I will tell you about it later. See you then, hopefully. Have a wonderful day. See you soon. Take care. Yeah,